950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Michael Broadcorp is kind enough to join us to talk about politics today. Of course, the breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky is his podcast there, as well as also you follow him on Twitter. He's got his own webpage. He's doing a lot of things. And I should also mention, I haven't done this in a while. The girls are gone. His fantastic book he wrote uh, that you need to go get the copy of that one. Hi, Michael. How are you, my friend? Good. How are you, sir? How how is you? How are you feeling? I'm I'm better. I got I lost the brace, which is good, and I'm slowly coming back. But man, this is a process, man. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Well, I hope you. I hope your uh, recovery continues to go well, and all goes well with your health. Well, thank you very much, sir. I really do appreciate that. I I will say this. This is funny because you and I, you and had a Twitter exchange this weekend over the Easter weekend. You had said ham is an overrated. You know, main course of a meal, and I agreed wholeheartedly. I also said lamb is an underrated one, and we both agree on this. I get the impression that if you and I could actually sit down with budgets and all these things, you and I could hammer out a pretty decent state budget with everyone being happy pretty quickly because I think that at times you and I do represent what used to be, which was an idea that you could you still had to work together with people. It couldn't just be my way or the highway. Absolutely. I, I, it's something that I passionately believed in, and it's something I still believe today. I mean, one of the things I really liked to do when I was deputy chair of the party, I would like to go to schools, and, and I would and I would very often have a, a Democrat there. A lot of times it would be Ken Martin, and we, the current chairman of the DFL party. We would talk about students, about them voting and being engaged. The Politics is about talking. It's the art of the compromise. It's what you can get done. And you have to work with people, and that's why... I think Matt, I've always enjoyed coming on your on your show and and having the opportunity to speak to your listeners at AM 950, and it's something that uh, I hope to continue doing because it does represent, I think, the true essence and the true reality of politics is we have to be able to talk to people from different backgrounds and different perspectives. Absolutely, and and I think you add a lot if you want to know the truth. I think you, your perspective is very solid at times. Uh, let's I want to get you, let's, let's get into the national things here first. Uh, you know, um, it's been a few weeks since we last talked. Uh, Trump still is he's been indicted. Uh, you got Tim Scott now down in South Carolina, thinking that he's. I think he's putting an exploratory committee together to possibly run. Uh, your thoughts on where the, the 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 running for the president is right now? Is it still Trump's to lose at this point? Yeah, I still think it is. There's nothing that makes me think that it's not going to be Trump, and I, and I feel very. I feel I was telling this to someone just yesterday that I feel as confident as I do about Trump getting the nomination as I did with Jensen getting the nomination on the, for governor. It just has that same similar feel to it. What we have right now is we have we have Donald Trump, and, and, and by every measure and indicator in the lead, uh, he's going through uh, he's going through the criminal process right now. He's been indicted. There's potentially more to come. But what what the indictment of Donald Trump showed was that he is the front runner in the race, and he's also the de facto head of the party. He because none of the other candidates, aside from uh, none of the announced candidates at the time really said anything to that were tough on him in any type of way. Now, Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas, yes. you know, later got in the race and, and gave some more pointed comments. But the, the but what people did, the comments were, you know, you know, calling the the process the kangaroo court and they were really very hard on, on Alvin Bragg and, and the entire prosecution of Donald Trump. There was no kind of cautious statement from anyone saying, you know, we uh, Maybe a little bit from Aza Hutchinson later on was, you know, we have let the process play out. We have to see where this goes. 
none of that type of thoughtful kind of, I think, rational kind of comments. And so not only are they deferring to Donald Trump and they're giving him him space, they're also not going after him. Because I think that the Republican candidates that are running outside of your last name being Trump recognize that the path to the nomination is that MAGA lane, mm-hmm. and they have to go through that lane. And so there's no other viable lane. And so you have to show loyalty. You have to show deference to him if you're going to be a successful presidential candidate. And I have to believe that the only credible path that exists is if something were to happen with a potential other indictment or some other type of information that would come out or the, his legal situation would be so precarious that he just couldn't legitimately get a run. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to stay in. I think he's going to be the nominee uh, as of right now, and that's that's terrible for Republicans, and it's terrible for Republicans who want to win the general election. Well, and I think you brought up Asa Hutchinson. I brought up Tim Scott. I think either one of them, if they became the Republican nominee, would be trouble for the Democrats. I, I'm dead serious on that. I think that they would, that would be trouble. I you know, But the problem is is that you can take the high road and not go after him. You can go in there and try to take shots. He's very good at deflecting and sending him back at you. Um, but this, at the same time, there's a lot of people, his main supporters, love him for the way that he attacks, for the pettiness, for the smallness, for the, the mudslinging. They love him for that. And so you can't really turn off that base. And I guess the the question is, is that still the majority of the Republican Party? Or is do you think it's starting to shrink to a point where if someone really started to resonate, you know, Christy Noem is out there, um, you know, any of the other candidates, Ron DeSantis, if someone else started to resonate, do you think there's just enough Republicans now who are just tired of Trump that they would turn and that gives another person a chance? No, I don't think there are enough Republicans. Uh, I, and I think that's just the problem. And I think if you were looking for a reason to be done with Trump, it would be his indictment. It would be the indictment that he went, that he's currently going through. Now, maybe some, you know, there, there's a belief out there that the potentially some more indictments will come and they may be more serious. I don't know. Uh, but there's a, what's, what's developed so far is that there's been no break in his momentum since this happened. I mean, this is a campaign that went out there and, and put out a fake mugshot uh, <laughs> selling T-shirts. They wanted to embrace this. There was, an, there was some news reports that uh, there had been some negotiations between uh, the DA in Manhattan to potentially do the arraignment, to conduct the arraignment over Zoom, uh, to, to downplay him kind of having to come to New York. Trump, by all accounts, wants to build this up, and he's embracing it. He views it as a political strength. And you got to remember, Matt, that, that a lot of his supporters – the bulk of them believed that Donald Trump was going to build the wall and that Mexico was going to pay for it. And uh, so you're not talking about a group of people that I think are necessarily based in reality. And Trump has found a way to cultivate a following of people where he can literally say anything and it just doesn't matter. And so absent his criminal circumstances becoming much more serious, which may happen, I don't know what's going to prevent him from being the nominee um, because there's no one that is organizing at his at his level right now. Well, and I think and that's sad and that's very sad. Well, and, and I, I think if, if there is one thing, I don't think the Georgia thing will stop him. I don't think the secret document thing will stop him. Stop him. But if this this whole Gene Carroll trial. 
this is a little different. This is in a very different realm. And, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're now desperately trying to delay this again by, by saying that with the other publicity that's happened, that they should push this off because they're going to, it's going to bias the jury pool. Uh, I think he's scared of this trial. And I, and if this trial goes on, who knows what kind of evidence is going to be out there? Will it change anyone's mind? I don't know. But you start to get, if you just move that needle a little bit more on in the Republican Party of the Republicans who are kind of tired of the whole thing, and you do have a case where there's some shocking evidence against him in that trial, it might be enough to knock him off the pedestal. You know, which once again it wouldn't be anyone else doing it. It would be Trump himself through his own his own you know you know you know false bravado, basically getting knocked off the, the pedestal. I, I I love if you're right, and I hope that and I hope that I'm wrong, and I hope that you're right. I just don't see it because I just don't see it happening. But we'll see. My hope is that that I mean, my hope is that more Republicans start to become aware of a lot of the polling that's gone on, and the polling has showed that voters. Consistent polling has shown that voters in the general election will, are not going to look favorably on a candidate who's facing a criminal indictment or is going through the criminal process. So it appears, once again, we have a situation where it doesn't seem to be hurting Trump with Republican voters. But in the general election, it does. CNN just had a poll out a week or so ago, which showed that one third of Americans, uh, only one third of Americans believe that Joe Biden deserves to be reelected. And even inside the Democratic Party. Uh, in terms of people asking that, that there is a high percentage of people who want there to be a different candidate than, than Joe Biden to be the Democratic nominee. I think there's an appetite in both. I think that there is a, a, a silent but strong, there's a silent group, but small group, I think, in both the Democratic and the Republican Party that would like to see someone other than Joe Biden and Donald Trump be the nominee. I, I, but I just honestly... Maybe I'm too cynical or I'm too much of a realist that I just think that the momentum is on both their sides for entirely different reasons, mm-hmm. uh, that, it's gonna, that I think it's going to be them. And that's where I think this comes down to. And I think if the Republicans nominate Trump, I think, though, it'll be political suicide in the general election. But we'll see. There's a long time. And, and the problem, though, is that this case, I wonder what the argument's going to be if some potential of this, this Carroll case or some of these other criminal indictments come down that there's rumored to be. And again, this is just speculation. I wonder if that starts to, 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 to some of his support start to slip. But I was surprised at how cautious his Republican opponents were about even referencing it in any type of negative sense. Mm-hmm. I think that's an acknowledgement that even if Trump isn't the nominee, the path to the nomination is through his supporters, and so they have to kiss the ring, and they have to be loyal to him. And I'll go to the Democratic side. I mean, let's go back to 1980. There was a lot of people that didn't want Carter to run again. And and they even had a Kennedy that came in there to try to, to steal away the nomination, and they didn't. I mean, it is set that if you are the incumbent president, that you pretty much have the – if you want to run, you're going to run. I, I I think other candidates might give Biden trouble, but I think that it's it's just one of those things where you know if it comes down to Trump, I think Biden's looking like the positive winner again. If that's what happens, I still am not convinced. Though I I don't know I I'm I'm still not convinced Biden wants to run again. We'll have to see. Uh, I'll I'll uh, we'll have to see. I think he does. I think he doesn't. But well, he hasn't made that a formal announcement yet. I, I want to get down to your podcast, the breakdown with Broad uh, Corp and Becky. 
and some of the episodes that you've had here. And I want to specifically talk about some very interesting statements and I think you know spot-on statements from Jeff Kolb, who you had on there, who's very popular on Twitter and on social media. And basically he, he points out that there's a problem within the Minnesota Republican Party right now that they're they're basically it feels like there are there there are a lot of Republicans in Minnesota who like to lose that they basically would rather lose with a bad candidate than win with a candidate they don't agree with you know more than more than ninety percent of the time and it, and it's really interesting it's something that Karen Housley when she was on your podcast also referred to her 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 challenge that she had. That, you know, this is not someone who is exactly a moderate Republican. Karen Housley is a, a fairly conservative Republican. The, the Republicans themselves, they do seem to have this problem that unless it's the most far-right individual who is somewhat unelectable in a statewide race, it, that's who they're going to go with. Correct. I think that Senator Housley and, and, and Jeff Cole both hit on it. Both said some very important things, and, and I appreciate you listening, listening to the episodes, Matt. Um, you know, Karen Housley's, Senator Housley's point was that Republicans, it's about messaging and it's about, you know, and, and this is and, and there was a little bit of, you know, some people kind of recoiled a bit of what she was saying. But there's just it's, it's absolute truth and, and logic and, and Democrats do and Republicans do it. You message to the middle, you message to your broad base. Candidates have and elected officials have multiple constituencies. Obviously, if you're a state senator, you're a state rep or, you know, governor, you're a member of Congress, you obviously are elected by the broader the broader electorate, you're elected by both Democrats and Republicans. But most candidates go through an endorsement process. And, you know, you certainly, when you're speaking to your local party unit, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you speak, you speak in more pure language to them. You talk about the issues that matter most to them. Then you pivot and you speak to the general election when you run those type of races. Republicans have been challenged by that. They have been unable to to pivot. I think that a lot of that comes from at the statewide level, the Republicans' dominance on winning the endorsement at all costs. I think that what, hap- what has happened over the last few cycles has Republicans have mistakenly viewed winning the endorsement as winning the election. Yes. And I've said before, yes. they have this perception that if you win the endorsement, this magical truck of money comes to the convention and just dumps it out and you can get it. And what, what has occurred is that a lot of the races that the Republicans have lost statewide have not been lost by October surprises, but they have been lost from statements made on the campaign trail while Republicans are speaking and doing endorsements, going through the endorsement process, where they're running in this mindset of, I have to be the the farthest candidate to the right. And they say ridiculous, preposterous statements. They take policy positions that make no sense in the general election, and then, surprise, they win the primary, and then all that stuff comes back out. And to Jeff's point, what Jeff, I think, was honing in on is that you know, Halsey was speaking about the message, and that's coming right out of the candidate's mouth. But I think what Jeff was speaking to, so importantly, is this grifter class that Republicans have, these campaigns and these candidates who uh, people have been routinely coming back and getting jobs working on these campaigns after they've lost previous campaigns. There are people who worked on Jeff Johnson's campaign. Uh, sorry, there are people that worked on Scott Jensen's campaign in high levels that worked on Jeff Johnson's failing campaign in both 18 and in 14. Um, there's a long kind of conveyor belt of people who have picked up bad campaign practices, 
bad campaign strategy and work that are working on these campaigns, and they're bungling it, and they're losing. And what Republicans need to be aware of is who these, who these grifters, who these bad actors are, who are these people who are running these campaigns, and what their actual record is. As I've said consistently over the years, Republicans love to be the party of personal responsibility until it comes to winning elections, mm-hmm. until it comes to the aftermath of elections and examining their work. And the one thing that I think has is, is, is really happened this election cycle is that, the, the, that Scott Jensen's operation and the, and the incompetence in which it was run by has really reframed how Republicans are looking at the statewide level. That was a race I don't think that was winnable against Walls, but had Jensen run a better campaign, that they created an environment where it was impossible for any Republican yeah. to succeed because they just cratered the entire electorate. And they, and they drove it into the ground. And, and so I think – go ahead. Well, and I was going to just add, and, and you got these candidates who can't lose their districts, who don't understand every time they open their mouth, when they sit there and say, we're going to jam our agenda down the Democrats' throats, they're killing the suburban Republicans. And, and, and I'm not you – know, I'm, I'm, I'm just calling this as politics. I'm looking at this as politics. That's your biggest problem is because it, you, you know, it's, that's what gets covered. In the same sense as, you know, the, the, the metro area Democrats, you know, it makes it more difficult for outstate Democrats. They don't, you know, with, with some of the more, more less palatable policies when it comes to the outstate the masses. I, I think that that's one of the things that's really hurting them. And as a matter of fact, I, I think it was Kolb as well that went out there and talked about the whole thing with the school lunches. He's like, sit down, shut up, and yeah. just vote for the damn thing. Why are why is Draskowski getting up there and making national media for being this horrible? Because that alone is hurting the Republican Party dramatically. Correct. I mean, and and I think uh, the episode that we uh, yes, yeah, the episode that Jeff was on, and we've talked about it, that school lunch that school lunch episode was a perfect example. I mean, the caricature of Republicans is kind of unthoughtful and, 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 non- and just out of touch with stuff. I mean, imagine being, I mean, Steve Graskowski went up there, and, and, and he's state senator, and he went out there and messaged on it and, and said basically he's never met a hungry person, never met, doesn't know any hungry people, never met a hungry person. That's just simply, it's not a, it's not a good message. There were, there were and there can be legitimate policy concerns in, that you can raise about that particular issue. But the truth of the matter is, it's, a, it's as Jeff wisely articulated on the show, uh, and I agree with him, uh, it's probably an 75-25-80-20 issue. Um, it's like voting against apple pie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. So, but there's, there's, there are ways. There are, I mean, I, you know, I discussed the issue with my kids, and, and, I, and I presented it from the standpoint of, you know, this is, you know, kind of the funding and how it worked. And, you know, I, and I was explaining to them kind of the logic behind it. And the point of the matter is I would have probably voted for it, but I guarantee what I wouldn't have done, even if I voted against it, was going to vote. It was get up and offer that type of horrible message. There's a thoughtful way that you can, you can raise concerns about some issues and not come across like a Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. And the problem that Republicans have right now is that they're getting up on the floor to speak, and they're saying some truly awful things. And to Jeff's point, a point which I'd agree, maybe just sit a few plays out. If you don't have to speak about everything, you don't have to represent, you don't have to share your little anecdote or your little clip or your little quip about something. You don't need to approach these important issues in such an unthoughtful way. 
that you're going to offend people. And the problem is, is that, again, what, what, what Becky Chair said on the show when she comments and Jeff has said and, and, and others have said, which is that Republicans don't have a lot of wiggle room right now. So when Representative, I'm sorry, when Senator Draskowski gets up and says, says those ridiculous comments, Republicans get painted by that because it's yeah. such an obnoxious statement. And it's a fair exercise for the media to come back and say, do you guys agree with this? And the <laughs> well, truth is, what it does is it drowns out the thoughtful criticism and the thoughtful critique of people. There are people who have legitimate policy concerns with the state paying for universal lunches in that way. And it's not based on the fact that they do or don't know any homeless or, or any people that, that aren't hungry. There's thoughtful, there's always people that have thoughtful kind of policy issues. I mean, state governments and legislatures are supposed to be the laboratories of democracy, supposed to where you kind of work out some of these ideas. And so the problem is when a Draskowski gets up and makes that type of ridiculous, unthoughtful, inconsiderate statement, it really kind of drowns out any kind of thoughtful critique that anyone has. And, and that's and, the unfortunate thing. And, Michael, i got to end it there, man. You and I could talk for hours easy. Uh, MichaelBroadcorp.com. That's where you're going to find his webpage. Of course, the podcast, The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. Where is that? Is that available pretty much everywhere? Everywhere podcasts are available, Matt. Thank you for letting me be on and talk. Hey, good, great insight, man. I appreciate the time. Michael Broadcorp taking the time with us. we got to take a break. Get out of the show. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.